Welcome to Attorney Heart, the podcast focused on bringing awareness to and promoting attorney well-being. Join Attorney Heart as you embark on a journey to improve the quality of your professional and personal life. And now, here's your host, Fernando Flores. Looking up, there's always sky. Rest your head, I'll take you high. We won't fade into darkness. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Attorney Heart. This is your host, Fernando Flores, and I want to just thank you for tuning in to another episode Today's episode is going to be transformational because we have none other than Mark Crandall. Mark, thanks for being on. Fernando, thanks for having me, man. It's great to be here. Definitely. And just so that folks have a little bit of a background, we're going to you know, get into a lot more with Mark um, in, in his terms of his story. But Mark is a licensed counselor, social worker, author, speaker, and transformational life coach. He had to endure some really, really challenging life circumstances, everything from child abuse, trauma, drug addiction, but he learned to really turn his life around. And I have seen everything that Mark is doing, and it's really, really, really not just transformational, it's inspirational, it's motivational. And he works with folks in making sure that people are able to gain continual awareness and through that change how they have conversations with themselves and then move to a place of transformation. Mark has the Purpose Chasers podcast and he also published several works um, and we're going to get into that in a little more detail. But Mark, with that introduction, I want to welcome you to Attorney Heart and I'm so excited to just learn from you and and, uh, share some time with you, brother. It's great to be here. And it's, it's really full circle because uh, my story is riddled with attorneys, right? Oh. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. It's really, you know, it's really, it's really great to be on your show and, you know, be, you know, be carrying a message to an audience of, you know, I'm guessing that your audience is, is a lot of attorneys, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's full circle. That's awesome, Mark. Yeah. So yeah, it's you know a lot of attorneys, a lot of law students, people, future attorneys too, people who are interested in the legal profession, and uh, you know we also get folks because it's focused on wellness and a lot of the information, you know, in relation to, you know, how stress impacts your body. I mean, that's generally applicable. So we have listeners from outside, you know, from the legal profession as well. But Mark, I want to get into your story. You know, just. Tell us a little bit about why it is that you do the work that you do. What's the path that led you to where you are now? And I think that's a good place to, to start. Yeah, so I will give you the Cliff Notes version. I mean, you, you talked about it in the intro. You, you summed it up. So, um, yeah, I'll just start. So, you know, at three years old, I was taken by DCYF and placed in foster care. Uh, My biological mother actually kidnapped me after turning my sister over to DCYF. My sister has cerebral palsy, which is the Department of uh, Youth and Families, right? Mm. So it's state custody. My sister has cerebral palsy and my sister was placed in foster care a couple weeks before me. My mom kidnapped me and brought me to New York. And, you know, there's a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, a lot of letdown, a lot of confusion as a child. And I mean, I can get into like I was handcuffed and locked in a closet and burned with cigarettes. Wow. And like, 
you know, just all that woe is me. And then uh, what, you know, what happened internally for me is I just became lost and confused and angry. And so as a child, positive, like positive feedback was super uncomfortable because it was so ingrained in me to seek negative responses. So a negative response became super comfortable for me and and became the norm. So when somebody would say you did good, I would push that away and resist it and do something negative. In my childhood, I mean, I had all the traits of a serial killer at age six. Like I was in therapy. I was on a host of medications at six Mm -hmm. years old. I had a list of diagnoses from therapists and it was just a very, very troubled youth, if you will. And I was placed in foster care and adopted by two of the most amazing humans uh, who are to this day, like two of my closest friends, my adopted parents, who I call my parents, you know, Orly and Cliff. And they raised, I mean, they raised my sister and I with really, really good values, like treat others as you want to be treated. You know, my mom used to always say any job worth doing is a job worth doing right. You know, like all, all of the principles, which would, you would think would build a strong man. Mm-hmm. And, but what happened to me is this fire of confusion just continued to burn. And I remember, and I share it in my memoir, um, I go into more detail than I will here, but I remember the day that we were going to get adopted and it was Halloween and I was in second grade and, and I'm going to get adopted and trying to explain to my classmates what that meant. And I had no clue. Like I had, there was nothing that I, like, I just didn't know what to say. Well, you know, what do you say at, you know, eight years old when you're adopted? You say, Oh, well, my first parents didn't want me. So these people do, Oh man, you know, and, it, it went on and on and on and my, my adopted parents got divorced. And of course that triggered more trauma. My bio parents were in and out of my sister's life with no consistency. There was a lot of letdown mm. and, you know, I started really acting out in school and, you know, setting fires, and throwing desks. And I was, you know, first time I got suspended was in first grade. I got suspended for a week mm. and it just continued and continued. And so what happened was I was seeing this amazing therapist at the time. Uh, his name's uh, Dr. Atkins, and I, I just give him shout-outs whenever I can because I, I truly believe that had he not taken the stand that he did for me in my life, I wouldn't be here. Mm. And although I was mad at him for what he did, he convinced my parents to file a chins petition on me, and what that means is it's a child in need of services. And so basically, my adopted parents reached out to the state through the guidance of my psychiatrist at the time and stated we can't handle this kid. Will you help? Mm. And so the state responded. And I, you know, at that time I had, you know, I had like an arson charge and a couple of assault charges. And, you know, I wasn't like setting houses on fire. I was just burning stuff out back of our house. But, it, you know, you can understand yeah. like you yeah. drew flags and it's just like, it's not stuff that the stuff that I was doing as a kid wasn't okay in society. Yeah. And, and how old were you at this point, Mark? Uh, 11 years old. 11. 12, wow. You 11. were young, man. 11, 12. Yeah. And so I had a change petition filed on me and I remember it. So I was supposed to go to court with my adopted father, Cliff, and he, he worked nights, he drove truck. And so I was like, it was the last day of school and I'm supposed to go to court. I don't know what that means. I know that they filed this motion on me, blah, 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 blah. And I have all these stories in my head and all this confusion. And at this time I'm smoking 
ridiculous amounts of marijuana. And so I can't think clearly anyways, even though I wasn't thinking clearly when I was sober and I wanted to go to school and I wanted to smoke weed. It was the last day of school. We were going to go, you know, do our thing. And, and I remember I went to school that day and just said, I'm not going to court. And my dad came and got me in court and principal or at school, the principal called me down. I went to court and I got sent away and I went, I spent two years in group homes and that was my first go at institutions. And you know, I did two years in there. And I, what, what happened was I got educated by older peers on essentially, you know, the, as the cliche goes, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, you know, also, you know, was coupled with uh, criminal activity. And so I came home rehabilitated and, and I asked my mom to purchase preppy clothes. I wanted to show up in school and wear polo shirts and khaki pants. And I really thought if I changed my outside appearance, that it would change my, in, my internal dialogue. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, you know, take that, take that as you will, right? Because mm-hmm. I know that most of the world continues to undergo that. And I do at times as well, still to this day, thinking that shoes will fix me or, uh, you know, an iPhone will fix me. And it's not that clear, but like, yeah. that's the, like that, you know, that's what's going on. So I came home from school and things got really, things got worse. I, you know, I was smoking a lot of marijuana. I was drinking almost every day. My couple of buddies of mine, and I use quotes for those of you who can't watch or aren't watching this video of this recording. And uh, we, we started eating sleeping pills before class mm-hmm. and, you know, before first period and seeing who could stay awake. And, you know, we were getting into a lot of trouble. We were, you know, robbing people at the time it just escalated and escalated and escalated and i was halfway through my senior year my mom threw me out i assaulted my brother and stole money out of her purse and she threw me out of the house and became homeless started doing heroin it escalates right so yeah, honestly, yeah. for the sake of your listeners listening to me ramble about no no it's fine story. fine no yeah That's, you can just share yeah it's fine yeah, so it escalated uh, to homelessness, right? And so I spent about four years homeless, you know, doing heroin and anything else I could get my hands on that would take me out of my consciousness. And, you know, criminal activity followed, it, it escalated. Um, and yeah, I did my first, you know, I got arrested for a couple burglaries, did, did my first uh, year long county jail sentence got out with a firm resolution that I wasn't going to do it again. I really thought that I was different this time. Mm -hmm. And what happened was I didn't fix my mind. You know what I mean? I had the time away, but my mind was still the same. I hated myself. Mm. I couldn't stand myself, you know, all the, the accumulation of all the actions that I had engaged in, all the people that I had hurt just built up and built up and built up. And the internal dialogue was just so loud and screaming self-hatred. And I just couldn't stand myself and I got out and I got a job and I was living with my adopted mom again and I was going to do it differently. And I started going to recovery meetings and doing all these things. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then one day my boss said something to me and I threatened him and, and I just said, you know what, I'm getting high. And it was like, boom, there was no second thought. There was no, you didn't have willpower. Like willpower was non-existent. It was just like, okay, that's what I did. It escalated again, as you can imagine, and yeah. became homeless again, and was robbing people, and you know was ar- uh, was arrested. Actually, before I got arrested, I was on probation at the time when I got out of jail, and my probation officer had showed up at my adopted mom's house, and 
he pulled in and I was sitting in the minivan in her minivan drinking a pint of Newcastle and smoking weed and probably doing some other stuff and it's hazy for me. But he pulled in with another officer and I jumped out of the car really quick and he walked up to me and he goes, Mark, why aren't you in rehab? And I go, that's a good question, dude. And he goes, yeah, but I want an answer. And I started crying. And it was like the first time in my life that I can remember like truly being honest with what was going on hmm. internally. I just looked him dead in the eyes and I, and I started when I was crying and I might tear up even on your show. And I just looked yep. him, I said, Dave, I can't stop, man. And I'm not going to swear on your show, but I said, I effing hate myself. Mm. I hate myself. Yeah. And I just said to him, I was like, lock me up. It's probably safer. And he's like, you know, I am tearing up on your show. No, I feel and it. Was, but yeah. It was the first time that I was ever like, I just was honest. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I can't stand myself. Like, I just can't stand to be awake every day. I, I just want it to go away. And what that means is, I'm not trying to be subliminal here, but I want to die. Like, I yep. wanted to die. Every day, I, I hoped that I didn't wake up because the pain and, and the noise in my head was just so loud. I hated myself. Yeah. And so he's, and he gave me, uh, you know, we left the meeting. He's like, I appreciate your honesty. I'm going to give you one week to get into treatment. And I had already had like nine months and all I had to do was make a phone call. And I was in, my mom was going to pay it. Like it was all set. I just needed to make a phone call. I couldn't, I couldn't dial myself. And that night, uh, I blacked out as, as I did often with, with some, um, it took some Valium and drank a bunch of booze and all the other stuff that I was on. Who knows? Blacked out, was arrested for four more burglaries, and I uh, went to prison. I spent two years in prison, and, and I'm going to share it on your show. And it really holds a special place in my heart to, um, to speak to your audience, at least, you know, lawyers. Yeah. So just thank you for the work that you do. Like, you know, I know I can only imagine that sometimes – you show up and work with a client and you're like, this is a waste. This is a waste. I, I just want to thank you and express my gratitude. I had a public defender who clearly didn't care what the outcome of my case was. And I'm mm -hmm. grateful for him mm -hmm. because the New Hampshire state prison system rehabilitated me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that they had a bunch of programs in place. It wasn't that they did. It was just the process of two years of incarceration which was, you know, I've done seven years throughout my life. Yeah. You know, seven years of incarceration in, in, in some kind of institution. And this two-year period was just long enough for it to marinate for me to, to like really to just start asking myself, why? Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Where is this going? Like, what's next? And um, and I, when I say New Hampshire State Prison rehabilitated me, what I'm going to share is they forced me to get my GED. I dropped out of high school mm. with a week left. My, my professors or the teachers were like, just show up for finals. That's all we want you to do. And what I know now that they just didn't want me to come back the next year. So they were just going to graduate. Me. They're like, get out of here. We're done with you. It's fine. Have you? But they forced me to get my GED. And had they not forced me to get my GED, like, you know, I wouldn't, and I have a couple more over here. Like I wouldn't have the licenses and the degrees that I have today. Yeah. So August 23rd, 2007 is the day that I was released from the New Hampshire state prison. It's also the day that I entered into uh, recovery. I've lived a life of recovery for over 11 and a half years now. 
And I, I would love to t- like share with your listeners that it was easy, but it wasn't. Mm. You know, I, I just I just listened to uh, David Goggins' audio book. He can't hurt me, and he and he drops a quote in there. And the quote is, "If you want, like, and I'm going to paraphrase: If you want to live a purposeful life, you must be willing to go to war with yourself." Mm-hmm. And it really, I just got goosebumps in a mouthful. Yeah. Wearing a <laughs> shirt, right? And it's like I had no idea. And I'm going to share this this piece. So I'm a week a week away from going to this year long therapeutic community, this treatment center that I'm going mm-hmm. to, which was state funded. It was brutal. Like you got in trouble, you were outside cutting the grass with scissors and a ruler. Like you would be washing dishes. They were just dirty dishes, so you had dishes to wash, like for 12 hours at a time. And I was gearing up to go to this place, which none of the, all, like all of the men in my unit were like, oh, we've heard stories of that place. Like, you'll be back. They were taking bets on how long it was going to take for me to come back to prison. Oh, man. And so I'm a week away from going. And I wasn't sober the entire time I was in prison. And I know that, you know, for your, you know, a lot of your audience, the lawyers that are listening, that's not, that's not going to be a shock, right? Right, right. But I was not sober in there. I did not have a lot of clear thoughts while I was in prison. But I was a week away from going and I woke up one morning panic stricken. Mm. And because we had just like partied that night and I won't get into all that. But, and I was panic stricken and I like asked, there was like this clear thought. It wasn't of me. I don't know what your listeners believe in. I believe in God, universe, like there's, powers out there at work that are greater than me, or I wouldn't be here today. And then this thought came from somewhere else because it wasn't my mind. I'm in prison, right? And I'm like the hard criminal and you know, you, you know, you work with them, right? So, <laughs> and this thought comes in and it's, Mark, if you can't stay sober in prison, how are you going to like, how are you going to rebuild your life? Mm-hmm. The next thought was, and, and it's such a strange thought, go to the one place in the library you've never been. And I'm like, what? Okay. And I love the library. I crushed books in prison. Like I just mm-hmm. read and wrote, read and wrote, read and wrote. Mm-hmm. So I went to the library and I'm standing in the library and I'm looking around and I'm like, what's the one place that I've never been? Oh, I've never gone to the personal development section, the spirituality section. They were all in one. And the only time inmates would go there would be to exchange drugs because it was like in the back of the prison, like in the back <laughs> of the library. So there was like no supervision. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they would pass notes and do all their stuff. And so I went back there that day and I saw a book on the shelf. And it was a man who was in an orange and red robe. And he had a smile on his face. Like I, to this day, I can see him. He had glasses on and this just massive smile. It was the Dalai Lama. And I picked that book up and I went back to my unit and I read half the book that day. That night I had a towel wrapped around my head and I was trying to meditate. And so I, my, <laughs> I took my sleeping pills before I started my meditation. So my meditation didn't look like my meditation looks today. But at the <laughs> yeah. time, here's the problem with most of the world, right? Is they 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 think that the actions are just going to start themselves, mm. right? They're just waiting for it to unfold. And in that moment, the actions that I took from grabbing that book going and reading it and actually trying to implement what was there, something happened that was different than anything I'd ever experienced. I got a, just a small piece of relief 
And, but it was the action I saw that, oh, if I do this stuff, maybe it's going to get better. Right. Action. And then my whole life, I had been sitting there waiting for a therapist or like something to just wash over me. You, I see it all the time. You know, I've been in transformational work for 11 and a half years now. I'm obsessed with it. You see people go to these events and get all hyped and they think that the event is going to change them. Then they go back into their lives and they live their lives. And even some of your audience, no, it's just yeah. not works like if you want to live a purposeful life you must be willing to go to war with yourself right mm -hmm. and, and, and change the internal dialogue one of the things that i like to say about the the point that you just made mark is you know when i work with my clients and they want to move towards a goal and and you set out and you plan and you figured out what you need to do you know i mean for me the secret ingredient also has been small smart steady steps just small smart steady steps like Every day, take a small step, you know, take a smart step, one that is taking you in the direction that you want to go. And I feel, you know, it's, it's very similar. You got to take that action. You got to move towards, you know, um, the direction that, that you want to go, that, that, you know, life that you want to, that you want to live. And I want to ask you, Mark, because in your, in your material that you, that you sent me, and I, I read your story, and it was really powerful for you to, to share it right now, man. Honestly, it just has a different effect, right, than me just reading it. So I, I appreciate that. I really do. And you mentioned something in there, and I'm just going to read it uh, because it, I felt it was really powerful when I read it. But the script that trauma writes reads like tragedy every time. Trauma is a cage. Shame is the lion on top of the bunk. And if you've lived past the age of 30, you're most certainly in recovery from trauma. But most of us don't recognize the tragedy of our limited and limiting perception. We can't see through the fog of our story, can't hear the voices guiding us deeper into disempowerment, failure, and brutal shame. I thought that was really powerful, man. And I wanted to ask you, I mean, how do you work with your clients, with your community, with other purpose chasers? to get to a place, you know, where they can listen to themselves and have a better conversation with themselves. Because you obviously were in a period where you, there was no self-acceptance, right? Like there was no self-acceptance and, and there was a lot of oppression within, right? And suppression of a lot of emotions and experiences as well. So, what is it that, that you feel are some of your more, most powerful tips, Mark, for, for folks to, to consider? Yeah, so I would, th you know, thank you for that. And so I just want to say one thing. <clears throat> um, you made this statement that you have to, you know, take small actions if you want to change. And I just want to put the disclaimer out there that you don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, there's a choice in taking action and it's not, it's not for people that want it. Wanting things has never gotten me to take action. Mm. It's, it's interesting. It's an absolute necessity if I want to recreate my life. Right. And so there's just, there's just a lot of power in the, in the ownership of taking action. You don't have to, you can continue to live the same way that you are. Right. And, like, and if you're listening, I, I, I get that. Yeah. You have every right to live a miserable, unfulfilled existence, if that's how you're living. Or to go into your question, you have every right to not truly tap into your potential. Mm -hmm. And so I do a series of exercises with my clients. I'm, I'm big into visualization because it, it 
gets individuals, the clients that I work with, and the audiences that I speak to, I do visualization exercises because it gets them out of their current consciousness, which is how they show up in the world, especially at an event or when they show up on a coaching call, they want to shine, they want to appear, they want to impress. So you get them to visualize and you get them to go below their consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. The level in which they live. And so there's a question that I ask all, uh, like everyone that I come into contact with, and that is the question that we all got asked when we were in second grade. What do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. And so oftentimes the way that I phrase that is I do a visualization as if, Fernando, you were going to die today. Mm-hmm. So would you feel fulfilled in the life that you led? And I'm not asking you this question. I'm asking you yep. the audience this question. If you knew that at the end of the week you were going to pass, and it's really morbid, but I think it's something that, that I, I mean, I reflect on it very, very often. Mm-hmm. If you knew that you were going to pass at the end of the week, would you be fulfilled with the life you led? I would say 99.9 of the individuals that I come into contact with say no. Well, what is stopping you from fulfilling that? Like Mm -hmm. what is stopping you from fulfilling on that? Well, and then I go into like, what is it that you want to be? What do you want to create? Who do you want to inspire? Like, how do you want to impact the world? And they like, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to do this. What's stopping you? I don't know. Yeah, you do. The way that you, the way that you speak to yourself is the way you show up in the world. Mm -hmm. The only thing that can limit any human on this earth is between their ears. That's it. I can say that I think Fernando's going to judge me if I do this, or I think Fernando's going to, that's all made up. I can only think about Fernando what I think about myself, or I can only think he's thinking about me what I'm thinking about. Right. And so I would say 99.9% of the world, there are the small percentage that are out there chasing, right? But 99.9% of the world are, are stuck in their own thoughts, their own limiting beliefs. Everyone has them. Everyone does have traumatic moments. Most people traumatize themselves yeah. because they've beaten themselves up. And so to go off of your, you, you, the leading question that you had for that, how did I get to this? Why do I do this? It's not a choice. Like it's, uh, it's my calling in life. Like mm-hmm. my calling in life is to change the way that society views trauma. It's just Mm. my calling in life and to impact those that don't even know that they want to be impacted, Mm. right? To shake up, like I've led workshops, I've spoke, you know, I've spoke to audiences, you know, and like, I'm not shining here. Like this isn't me like tooting my own horn Yeah. because in the moment I know that I'm just fulfilling on my purpose and, you know, and that's it. But when I get a police officer that walks up to me at the end of one of my talks, and said, I had no idea how much I was limiting myself. Mm. And this has happened. Like, this is real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I'm like, yeah, we, we never do. Or I have individuals that I've led a workshop or spoken, and they've been there in attendance. Mentors of mine walk up to me and say, your words just like tore me up inside. Mm. You know? So this isn't, yeah. I got to pay homage. A man named, named David Peltzer wrote a book and I drop his name as often as I can. It is on my bucket list to spend time with this man because he truly revolutionized my life. And I reached out to him two years ago and I probably should again now that my following is like, now that I have more, you know, progression, you know how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
explain it to you, right? So I have more clout, if you will. But when I reached out to him before, I was like not doing much. I'm about to publish a book. And I just sent him a copy of my book and thanked him and asked if you know I could talk to him and his people reached out to me. But he wrote a book called A Child Called It. What is it called, Mark? A, 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 a Child Called It. Oh, got it. Okay. And my mom sent it to me, That my adopted mother sent it to me the first time I was in county jail and I read it and then she sent me all these other books. And it was the first time in the world, like the first time in my world, if you will, which was a really dark place at that time, in which I was like, wow, this man's story is going to impact so many people, but my story is way more powerful. Mm. It wasn't egotistical. There's a difference between ego and arrogance, right? Right. But my ego tells me that I'm as good as anyone out there doing it. My arrogance tells me that I'm better than Fernando. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Ego is not a bad thing. Arrogance can be a bad thing. Yeah. Right. And so the self, the self confidence picked up, and um, and I've just shot off like a rocket. So I thank David Pelter for you know sharing you know sharing his message with the world and inspiring me to do the same. And, you know, when I quit my job as a therapist three years ago and went out into entrepreneurship, I had, you know, I started a podcast, I wrote a book, I started, you know, I've scaled three coaching businesses, you know, to six figures. And like, I don't do it for the money. You know, this, mm -hmm. like I do this because I love chasing purpose. Like I'm a purpose chaser. I just love it. I, I don't work. I, I just love what I do. And the more and more I do it, the more and more I impact. And the more and more I impact, just the louder and clearer my message gets. And I'm just like, you know, a lot of people say you do this for the money. And I was like, no, I would, I would do it if I didn't get paid. Yeah. Well, do on the side, I would work somewhere. I would just do this for free and for fun. It just so happens that the value that I'm bringing the world, the world is responding by paying me to do it. Mm -hmm. that and i know that makes sense that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. no i i know and so people you know people ask me all the time the same question that you did and i just say this like this isn't this isn't a job that i do like, this isn't a career that i chose this is a mission that i've been put on and it's a it's my calling in life and, and i'm not going to stop and i'm going to get louder and i'm going to keep creating content i'm going to gain more followers on my podcast and I'm going to just continue to do what it is that I do and show up in the world as I show up in the world. And I'm going to continue to get introduced to individuals like you who are on the same path. And we're going to build relationships and we're going to grow and we're just going to impact and shape the world. And I just, I just love it. So if you're, you know, if you're listening, I would just ask you to sit with that. What is it that you want to be when you grow up and what's yeah. stopping you? And I'll share this is there's only one thing that scares me in this world mm. and that's dying with regret. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful, Mark. You know, <laughs> it's, it's true. It's real. You know, and I, I don't, you know, I know that for some folks, you know, uh, putting death at the forefront and asking questions around that can be tough, you know, to consider our own uh, mortality. I, I'll share with you, Mark, you know, I, I did a very powerful, meditation practice last year called last year to live and Stephen Levine wrote a book very short book you know you know it right and um I I've, went, I've done it I've done it as well so, yeah I yeah. so you know you know what I'm talking about so I did that in 2018 and it was just uh very powerful 
you know, to ask yourself, is this really what I want to be doing? You know, even when I was doing what I wanted to be doing, right, which was starting a movement focused on health and wellness to a profession that, that really needs it, right, with, with some of the highest rates of depression and anxiety, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, suicide, I still ask myself that question. And it just helped refine even more what my real purpose was, you know, and so um, I appreciate you bringing that up too, because I think, I think it's important, you know, for folks to know that they're, you know, people are in different levels in their relationship with death. Right. And I was at a certain level too, you know, I had a certain level of, of comfort and discomfort with it. Right. Even just the topic. But I think, um, last year that relationship just shifted, you know, where it was just constantly present. And in many ways, it was just allowing me to live more fully with a lot more fulfillment. So I appreciate that share, Mark. So, hey, I want to ask you, Mark, um, you know, if folks are interested in checking out your works, you know, what is it that you have coming up that people can uh, support you in? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Also, tell me a little bit about your podcast and that way people can, can know where to, to listen to it. And so, yeah, just fill me in, brother. Man, you just asked a lot. So everything, pretty much everything that I do is on markcrandall.net. Is the that's my website. That's the easiest cool. place to find me. My podcast is on there. I mean, I'm I'm up to a lot, and and I I'm just like I'm having a lot of fun. I mean, we're doing I'm doing a shattering the stigma charity event up in New Hampshire, which is going to benefit a, a nonprofit that provides substance abuse treatment to those that can't afford it. Mm. In, uh, in, in Lebanon, New Hampshire. So that's a, a passion of mine. I'm doing a speaking event with um, that I put on. I started two years ago and you know, it's turned into turned into something really cool and special. And I have some mutual friends that of, you know, Fernando and I that, that I'm flying in this year and driving in one of them's driving, but uh, mm. to speak with me and doing that and just doing the podcast. I have some other speaking events, but I'm not going to to mention those. And I just, man, I love empowering people. I love, it's like just my favorite thing when an individual comes up to me who at the time believes that they have it all together and, and they just stop and they go, well, what am I doing? It's like my favorite question, right? Mm -hmm. What am I doing? Is this my calling? Which I hope I never lose that thought, right? Because that yeah. thought right there sparks new creativity and it empowers people at, mm -hmm. at a deep level. And you know, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my website and uh, you know, if, if you're interested, subscribe to purpose chasers podcast. It's I interview individuals, actually Fernando's going to be coming on um, individuals on how they can, how they came to chase purpose in their life. So very similar to Fernando's, you know, interview with me, I really dive into what was the pivotal point in their life in which they started to chase purpose and what keeps them going when their mind tells them to stop. Mm -hmm. Right. So everyone has a mind that's telling them to quit and some people's is louder than others. And I'm just on a, on a mission to help people smash their thoughts and, and live a life of purpose. I love it, man. And just so that folks know, uh, the website is M A R K C R A N D A L L dot net. So, and I'll include it in the show notes too, so that folks can check that out. Um, Mark, I really appreciate your, authenticity, you know, your, your, your genuineness, just being open to sharing your heart, you know, on attorney heart. Uh, it was, it was really awesome to, 
to learn from you. And I know that this is just the beginning of, uh, of our friendship and I look forward to staying in touch and helping each other magnify our respective voices to continue to help people wherever it is that they need support. And, um, and you know, I, I see us, uh, you know, serving big communities for many years to come. So I look forward to that, Mark. And congratulations on the transformations that you've made. And uh, I know that that is something that you're proud of, but I, I can sense that you're even more proud of the transformations that you help others make. So keep the awesome work up, man. Thanks so much, man. It's it awesome to awesome to know you and, and get to speak to to your audience on on uh, I Matter. So cool, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, with that, we're signing off. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on again. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of Attorney Heart. I, I hope you enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I really enjoyed it as well. So I look forward to catching you at the next episode of Attorney Heart. Take care, Mark. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. This is Fernando, your host of Attorney Heart. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, definitely subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. And if it can benefit anyone that you know, please share it. Attorney Heart is brought to you by iMatterNow. I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W. Please make sure to check our website at imatternow.com. Again, I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Every day presents an opportunity to engage in self-care. And remember that it is not selfish to take care of your well-being. It is necessary. So take care and connect with you on the next Attorney Heart episode.